Thanks for tuning in. I'm Scott Walter. And I'm Michael Watson. In this episode, we investigate the Center for American Progress, a key cog in the Democratic Party and the Clinton family political machines that is now being rocked by allegations of sexual harassment. Nira Tandon, the group's president, is alleged to have bungled the response to those allegations. This is the Influence Watch podcast. One of the latest public institutions to be rocked by allegations of sexual misconduct is a key player in the professional left, the Center for American Progress, or CAP, a think tank founded by John Podesta, a top Democratic operative and Hillary Clinton campaign chairman, in fact, he was reportedly her intended Secretary of State, and an extraterrestrial conspiracy theorist. BuzzFeed reports that a female staffer left CAP after detailing extensive alleged sexual misconduct by one of her managers. That's led to substantial criticism of CAP President Neera Tandon, herself a close ally of the Clintons and reportedly the prospective Health and Human Services Secretary in the Hillary Clinton administration that was to be. Tandon's accused of allegedly bungling the organization's response, including, reportedly, telling an all-staff meeting the former female staffer's name. As the powerful think tank deals with the fallout, we look behind the scenes at CAP and its social welfare media and advocacy arm and at its ties to other Podesta family organizations. Uh, Mike, let's start with the sexual uh, harassment claims that have made the news. So BuzzFeed, uh, uh, BuzzFeed and online news source uh, has broke, I believe it was last week, that there had been this, uh, this woman who had, uh, as she was resigning, had put out this, this letter uh, on the, on the cat, to cat management saying that one of her managers, uh, a gentleman by the name of Benton Strong, had been sending her extremely inappropriate messages, including uh, one, at, at least one alleged solicitation for oral sex. Um, now, Strong was uh, an associate communication director for the Center for American Progress Action Fund. That's that C4 social welfare advocacy arm. Uh, yeah, the and, think tank is a C3 right. charity, uh, right. quote unquote, the, and the, but it has the, a C4. A, the Center for American Progress does, does nominally policy research for liberals and for Democrats uh, to advance left, left-wing policy. The C4, uh, Center for American Progress Action Fund, does media and advocacy uh, that can be more electorally involved, more not technically partisan, but everybody knows it's partisan. Um, so uh, Benton Strong was working in the Cap Action Fund war room. Uh, he was he was a longtime Democratic Party operative. Uh, he had worked, um, I believe he had worked in San Diego, I believe he had worked for the Democratic Party in San Diego. Uh, so he was accused of sending of sending these lewd and inappropriate text messages. I believe was BuzzFeed's characterization, um, and this all came out as Strong was preparing to leave Cap. Um, inside, inside of this all was made known to management of Cap while Strong was preparing to leave, and he was preparing to go to Seattle 
to work for the then-mayor, Ed Murray, who, in a interesting sideline note, also had to resign because of a sexual misconduct scandal. <laughs> um, and this comes out publicly last week when somebody informs BuzzFeed. Now, uh, we always watch unions carefully in this show. There's a union involved in this story, is there not? So the Center for American Progress, uh, is its staff is unionized. They are members of the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers, AFL-CIO. Uh, when the initial allegations were made back in July 2016, the union, uh, the union representatives told management that they thought that the, uh, that the response by management, by Tandon, had not been sufficient. There had not been sufficient training. There had not been sufficient um, uh, actions taken to counter the uh, what what had happened. Uh, apparently, Strong, because he was already leaving when it was in, made known to management, they just cut his. They just put him on, sent him on leave a little bit before he was otherwise scheduled to depart. Uh, Allegedly, the Seattle was the city of Seattle, and the Mayor Murray's office was not told of the allegations against him until after they until after he had already started work there. Um, yep. And was uh, was this woman who's at the center of the current controversy, uh, who was uh, Strong's alleged victim, was she the only one that Strong was supposedly harassing at CAP? No, there were apparent there were, there are allegedly others. Uh, and then. So BuzzFeed breaks the story, Tandon apologizes, there's an all-staff meeting. And at the all-staff meeting, Tandon breaks the sort of number one rule of human resources during a sexual harassment scandal. You do not name the victim, both because it's unfair to the victim, it is unfair, and also it creates potential legal ramifications uh, for disclosing confidential confidential files, especially when there's a, co- a collective bargaining agreement involved, and she's uh, alleged Tannen is alleged to have done this not once but twice in the same meeting to audible gasps. Yeah, as so I to, believe the to reporting the, was. By Buzzfeed characterized uh, Buzzfeed sources characterized it as audible gasps, and at least one of Buzzfeed sources said that Tandon had quote lost the organization today, uh, had lost the confidence of the staff for having made. Uh, such an egregious, such a, an egregious error that you would have thought that the left, being so um, committed to uh, getting sexual misconduct out of the workplace, you would think that they would have known not to do that. <laughs> yes. The uh, and then there, uh, there's been uh, one more uh, step taken by Cap uh, in this. Uh, continuing scandal, I believe. Right, they have they have hired they brought in their they brought in an outside evaluator uh, to look at their policies for dealing with sexual harassment, and then the board uh, the board of CAP, which includes Podesta, it includes former Senate Democratic leader Tom Daschle, a m- bunch of other prominent former uh, Governor uh, Ted Strickland, uh, go- yeah, former Governor of Ohio Ted Strickland. Uh, issued uh, what should bring what never brings fear to a to a to a sports coach when his ownership tells him that they have a vote of confidence <laughs> they have full confidence in 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 leadership so uh, obviously Tandon remains on as of as of our discussion uh, the outside evaluator is supposedly evaluating uh, but certainly this is being watched with great with great scrutiny by uh, by both the internal 
uh, factors, at, the internal actors at CAP, and also uh, out, outside outside watchdogs. Yep, I have to uh, I, I have to throw in one comment about Governor Strickland, who, as you said, on the board of CAP, uh, while he was governor of Ohio, uh, he hired a uh, uh, a longtime Democratic operative uh, by the name of Eric McFadden. Uh, and to head the Ohio Office of Faith-Based Initiatives, um, this this fits into the Podesta and the the WikiLeaks stuff. The, in some of the Podesta leaks, there was uh, Ms. Palmieri, who I believe is still at CAP, uh, was complaining because of conservative Catholics' criticisms uh, of Democrats, and uh, Podesta explained, yes, that's why we've set up. Uh, our own Catholic groups, and he rattled off uh, Catholics and Alliance for the Common Good and, and an, another group that were uh, set up largely with Soros money um, to advocate f- uh, in favor of Democrats and left-wing causes. And this particular guy I'm talking about, uh, Eric McFadden, he had worked for, he'd been a spokesman for Catholics and Alliance for the Common Good, he'd been president of Catholics for Faithful Citizenship, he'd been uh, head of Catholics for Kerry in the 2004 election, he was Catholic outreach organizer for Hillary Clinton's 2008 uh, presidential campaign and the rest, and then ends, as I say, ends up at Governor Strickland's uh, Office of Faith-Based Initiatives in Ohio until he is arrested uh, and pleads guilty uh, for compelling prostitution of a 17-year-old girl. Um, and apparently, I would add that uh, he may not have been the smartest guy on Craigslist because one of the aliases he used was McFadden Catholic. But... Yeah, that's, that's a uh, sideline of Podesta. That's a great way to get. That's a great way to get yourself caught. But um, anyway, uh, let's let's dig a little deeper into what the Center for American Progress or CAP uh, is. And of course, I have to put in a plug for our uh, influencewatch.org website because you can find complete write-ups and thorough documentation of both the CAP, the C three. And Cap Action Fund, uh, the related C4, and, and also Ms. Tandon. Uh, yes, yeah, sorry, and Ms. Neera Tandon. The uh, the so far as we know at this moment, the as, president, as of as of the public as of the beginning of this conversation, the president of Cap yeah. <laughs> and Cap Action. So, when did it get started, and uh, and and what does it do? So, after fairly unexpectedly, the Republicans won the 2002 midterm elections. George W. Bush is president. The Democrats are thinking, okay, well, at least we're going to get the House and Senate back in 2002. Uh, however, the uh, the Bush administration's response to the attacks of September 11th, the uh, the reaction of some of the of some of the far left uh, rallied the Republicans, and the Republicans actually gained seats. Uh, this obviously scared uh, scared the Democrats quite a lot. They wanted to prepare a new infrastructure for the 2004 elections and for future uh, for future potential uh, Democratic electoral victories. And they looked at what the right had built, uh, specifically the Heritage Foundation, which when which I believe it was started in the 70s. Uh, I think it might have been the 80s. No, because it was there when Reagan came in. Was it already there? Okay, you're right. Okay, yeah. Of course it was. It was there it when Reagan came in, so it was in the 70s. So it was created, right. created it was in, in the 70s, 70s uh, creates a bedrock of policy ideas that when Ronald Reagan then wins the 1980 presidential election uh, and Republicans take the Senate, uh, that Reagan can come into office and say, here are some of the things I want to do. 
the Heritage Foundation, by the way, continues that role on the right. Uh, it has been characterized as Donald Trump's favorite think tank because it had prepared uh, potential policies and trained uh, policy wonk people, the people who then go in and become undersecretaries and become assistant secretaries and become commissioners uh, of federal commissions to uh, then take the policies that they had developed at the Heritage Foundation and then put them into practice as government policy. Uh, into the 2000 and in the early 2000s, the Democrats look at the, the Democrats and liberals look at this and they say, that's a good idea, we should copy it. And they create the what was originally called the American Majority Institute, but would later become known as the Center for American Progress. Uh, people who were there at the beginning, you had uh, obviously John Podesta, you had uh, Democratic Politico Terry McAuliffe, later the governor of, governor of Virginia, uh, a couple of... And also, but before that, in between, uh, he would head the Democratic National right, Committee. He had been, been, been in the Clinton, I think he had been in the Clinton White House, then he headed the DNC. There yes. had been some controversy about when he was heading the DNC, yeah. and then... At, well, exactly, yes. <laughs> at, it, it was always alleged that the idea of selling the Lincoln bedroom at the White House was Mr. McAuliffe's, but... Although it was never proven. Um, and then uh, other... On the subject of sleazy ex-Clinton aides, Herlickies, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, and also uh, Clinton political director uh, Don Sosnick, and then they received support from what would ultimately become the sort of Democracy Alliance network of of Democratic donors, uh, especially as you mentioned earlier, George Soros. Yeah, which would which was started after the two thousand four election, where again the left sort of took the say. You know, I, I can remember the two thousand four election vividly. Even at lunchtime, as the morning exit polls were secretly coming in and being sort of spread around Washington, um, and, and Kerry looked to be, you know, easily winning. Uh, and then, of course, by the end of the night, in fact, again, George W. Bush had, had beaten the candidate that Mr. Soros had given tens of millions of dollars to, uh, John Kerry. And there was great bitterness uh, between the 2000, 2002, 2004 losses for the Democratic Party, the left. Um, decides that the Democratic Party just can't get it done, and we need to have outside the party structures like think tanks right. and other efforts. The, and the, and a, a lot of you know again a credit to the conservatives of the 1980s and of the 1970s, 1980s, and 1990s is that when the Democrats at this you know the unions are in retreat, the unions have been along or had and still are a principal institutional support of the Democratic Party. Um, as they as they retreat, uh, the Democrats look to what the conservatives had built in the Heritage Foundation, the um, the GoPack network that had been built by Newt Gingrich to recruit candidates and support conservative candidates for the House, and the Democrats say we need to we need to model we need to copy that. Yes, they we, want to build they, their, their own infrastructure their, their outside own the infrastructure party. outside the party, especially after the worst law of the early 2000s, the McCain-Feingold campaign finance law, meant that your outside rich guys couldn't just give money to the party anymore. Yes, yeah, so they're, they're, they were making it more hard uh, to get money into the party's hands while also deciding that the party just, uh, just couldn't, was just, insufficient. Just, just couldn't hack it anymore. Yes. And then, so then, what does CAP serve during the Bush administration? Well, one commentator called it a Hillary Clinton White House in exile. Um, or a White House staff in readiness for President Hillary Clinton. Uh, still was 
in 20, you know, in 2016, the day, you know, at noon on November the 8th. <laughs> yes. Um, when, again, John Podesta was expected to be, uh, was Mike, Mike Allen of Axios uh, supposedly got a, uh, got a list of all the people who were going to be considered for uh, Clinton uh, cabinet positions. John Podesta was the bold-faced of three, uh, which presumably meant he had right of first refusal to be Secretary of State, and Neera Tannen was the only listed for Health and Human Services. Um, yeah. And it's worth throwing in there that in the Obama administration, Podesta does come back into government. Right. Uh, Podesta had been pres- was president of CAP from its founding until uh, the mid-2010s when uh, President Obama, the Obama White House, had, seen, had kind of gone into struggle so Obama called Podesta uh, to be counselor to the president, one of the senior advi- one of the most senior advisors in his White House. Yep. Now, um, uh, I, I do want to say real quick here that there are uh, critics of Cap on, on the conservative side who claim that Cap didn't precisely grasp the cons- uh, or sorry that the, the folks creating Cap and similar places didn't quite. Uh, grasp the way the conservative infrastructure worked. Conservative infrastructure was not just a, they called, the the left called it a noise machine um, and made it sound like, oh, well, it's just they're talking and blathering and all that, and that's not really what's what's doing it. Uh, That's what's doing it. It's not really about the ideas and the policy wonkery. Um, And so certainly CAP was definitely not about heavy-duty, deep-dive research. CAP was about one the of, often three press releases a day. <laughs> one, of, one of CAP's most notable public-facing projects is a project of its 501c4 Action Fund, uh, and that is the Think Progress Network of Blogs, which, have, which are quite literally a left-wing noise machine. Yes. Uh, they are not exactly known for their journalistic, rep, uh, journalistic rectitude, uh, to use one, uh, to use an example from last week, uh, a Think Progress writer or editor, I think a writer on Twitter who identifies himself as a Think Progress writer on Twitter. Uh, so, Secre- new Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has just been sworn in. He uh, he went to meet with some foreign governments over the weekend. Comes back is giving his maiden speech to the State Department employees, and. The way that that always works is like you stand in an escalator and there are some employees behind you and then, of course, there's the whole room of employees. And uh, the camera was panning across the, 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 the employees and for, again, a few seconds, the way that the camera was framing the visible heads behind Pompeo were all white, were all, were all white State Department workers. And... Uh, that earned from a Think Progress writer the statement statement to the effect that Mike Pompeo was speaking to an all-white meeting of State Department staff, which, if he had waited 45 seconds when the camera panned and there were, uh, you know, other folks, other, uh, uh, yeah, other uh, other folks visible, uh, would have been shown to be entirely false. Yes. Uh, now, uh, to, and and pushing this a bit further, that as I said, cap strategy is far less to do uh, regression analyses comparing economic policies or something like that, rather than just uh, mainly lots of noise. Uh, One thing to be noted is that for years and years, if you go to their website and look at the different divisions where they list the employees, the communications department always is larger than any of the other departments like education or energy or, uh, or economics. 
But and then, but the in a way, the capstone of all this is that CAP was the first think tank, left or right. Uh, all of them are C3s. We're a think tank. We're a C3. All these C3s. It was the very first C3 think tank to concoct its own and C4. And, and let's clarify for our for our audience why that matters. As a 501c3 organization, Capital Research Center is not allowed to say vote for X, is not allowed to say vote against X. We are not allowed to intervene in elections. The Heritage Foundation cannot intervene in elections. Now, that doesn't mean that the Heritage Foundation does not have an ideological valence. It doesn't mean the Capital Research Center doesn't have an ideological valence. But by creating a C4, what CAP and then, you know, because... Conservatives can do the same thing liberals can do. Heritage ultimately would copy cap 10 years later. Um, when you have a C4, you can intervene in elections. And that gives Think Progress, the Think Progress blog network, a lot more freedom to talk about things in a way that is likely to impact elections. Yes. So again, the emphasis on politics, not policy. Uh, so, um, well, let's talk about some of the interesting ways that CAP's C3 and its C4 are uh, intimate, shall we say. So the largest single donor to the Center for American Progress Action Fund is the Center for American Progress. Uh, in 2016, the most recent year for which records are available, uh, the Center for American Progress, which is not allowed to engage in electoral, which is not allowed to intervene in elections, uh, grant, gave a grant of $3.5 million to the Center for American Pro Progress Action Fund, which can intervene in elections. Uh, and that's out of a total cap action budget of about $8 million. So a li little bit less than half of cap action's budget came from cap. And this has been, in over the years, this has been a very, uh, a very uh, prominent pattern of the C3 giving millions to the C4. Now, you mentioned that on the conservative side of things, the Heritage Foundation think tank is a C3, and it has a C4. It has a C4 Heritage but Action for as America. far as we can tell in doing the research ba yeah, the based show, on public uh, and based on publicly available tax documents in a, uh, on, a on a 990, the tax uh -huh. return that all uh, tax-exempt organizations, Capital Research Center among them, have to file to, the, file to the Internal Revenue Service in order to keep exemption from corporate income tax. You have to declare... I gave money to the following other tax-exempt organizations. And so far as we can determine from publicly available 990 documents, Heritage Foundation, 501c3, can't intervene on elections, does not give any money to Heritage Action for America. Yes, whereas it's with Center for American Progress, it's year after year after year, year, after year after millions, millions and millions of dollars, typically uh, in the range of you know half, sometimes more than half, uh, of the C4's total budget. Yep. Now, one thing, if for those uh, folks who are uh, autistic enough to, to really know the hideously complicated C3, C4 laws, some people might think, well, maybe that's because the, the C3 here, Center for Making Progress, is having its C4 lobby for it, because the C3s can do a limited amount of lobbying, even that rule the, is complicated. The maximum, yeah, the maximum amount that applies to CAP is $1 million per year. Lobbying has an extremely technical definition. Yes. Uh, so they report only using about 70,000 of that. But, um, and then Cap Action, I think you looked Claim, it up, yeah, claims, claims zero. Claims it doesn't do any lobbying. 
Yes. Uh, and that's because lobbying in the IRS rules has an extremely technical definition that basically amounts to meeting with members of Congress or meeting with state legislators. Or issuing a call to action to the grassroots, like, please yeah. call your congressman this right. afternoon that, that and direct, That directly implicates yeah. legislators. Yeah, that grassroots or, or ballot measures. Directly. Again, this gets very complicated very fast. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, um, uh, so that is... That is a very interesting thing that, so far as I know, no, uh, none of our wonderful uh, adversarial media has ever uh, bothered to fully, to fully, ex- fully explicate how that how that's supposed to work. Yes, but uh, well, let's go back to for a second here about some of the um, some of the donors to, to the to the well. Well, I mean, I, I was going. Well. I, I mean, mm-hmm. we can we can discuss we can discuss donors. It's all the liberal foundations that we've mentioned in these donor segments before. It's. Uh, the big, the biggest uh, that we were able to de- to determine uh, using the foundation search service was the foundation of Herb and Marion Sandler, uh, who achieved brief renown uh, in late two thousand eight when they were shown to have been one of the pioneers of subprime mortgage lending. Um, Yes, generally considered by left and right uh, among the their their savings and loan empire was one of the biggest villains in the entire housing right. crisis. Right, they were one of they were one, they were if they didn't invent subprime lending, they made it go big. They, they um, also it's worth mentioning because there are various Acorn connections to Center for American Progress over the years. They also reputedly used Acorn to harass uh, their competitor Wells Fargo uh, in the mortgage business. Um, so that's another thing, and and the last the the, the their their notoriety's peak, I would say, was when Saturday Night Live, not known to be a right wing outlet, uh, had actors portray them with the Chiron on the, the bottom of the screen reading "People Who Should Be Shot." Um, <laughs> so yes, they were they were uh, up to their necks in a, in the whole housing crisis disaster. A, they 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 were yeah they were they were deeply implicated. But then you have the usual suspects: Rockefeller family foundations, uh, the Open Society foundations associated with George Soros, the Marisla Foundation, which is an environmentalist group, uh, and then the the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, among many, yep. many others. As well as some of our favorite unions that we discuss virtually the, every show, SEIU, the, the nation's largest organized political donor for every single cycle. Well, I mean, counting all the cycles yeah, they, they, from they, 1990 they, to right, 2016. Right, the, the largest over all the years. <laughs> yeah, so from 1990 to 2016, the largest political donor in America. Uh, also, the uh, American Federation of Teachers, the AFL-CIO, uh, have funded both CAP and CAP Action, this, the C3 and C4 sides. Well, um, we should also talk, speaking of Center for American Progress, so let's also look at the uh, the Podesta family, which have been so important in its And been life. in the news recently, because yep. John has a brother, and his brother is Tony, who is a form, who is John's former business partner. They together founded... Uh, Podesta Associates, which would later become and is better known as the Podesta Group, one of the biggest lobbying firms until recently. In- eighth, <laughs> until it shuttered its doors just days ago, the eighth largest uh, lobbying firm in D.C. Yeah, it closed up shop late last year, um, and it was one of the largest uh, lobbying lobbying firms in Washington, D.C. Uh, he had, Tony had previously been married to Heather Miller Podesta, 
uh, who is in her own right a Democratic super super lobbyist, had a uh, separate lobbying firm. They, uh, Tony and uh, Tony Podesta and Heather Miller, uh, when they were married, had multiple properties, a massive art collection, legendary to the Washington D.C. political world. Legendary wine cellar of thousands of bottles. Uh, they divorced, I think, in 2014. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. Yeah. The, uh, uh, and then to, to get an idea of the scale, just of the lobbying revenue. Again, lobbying has a very technical definition. <laughs> so a public affairs firm like the Podesta Group not only would have lobbying revenue, it would also have communications revenue and consulting revenue. Just the lobbying revenue that is reported in 2015 was $30 million annually. Yeah. And we should add that, that interestingly, that's that's in the neighborhood of Center for American Progress's annual budget. Yeah, annual the, the, budget. The, the, uh, yeah, the tens annual, of millions of dollars. They're in the they're in the tens. Uh, and in a more sort of nakedly political sense, uh, the Podesta couple were big time Democratic bundlers who would gather together all their rich friends who would then write checks to uh, Barack Obama's People. reelection campaign or Hillary Clinton's, Hillary Clinton's yeah. campaigns for whatever. Yeah. Now, uh, however, uh, speaking of Hillary Clinton's campaign in 2016, after she lost under John Podesta's uh, direction mm-hmm. as, uh, as leader of her campaign, um, things did not go well for Tony and the Podesta lobbying group. Yeah, th- things fairly immediately go sideways once the government starts investigating the Russian interference in American politics over the past decade. Uh, Though viewers may be familiar with the allegations against Paul Manafort, who had uh, run, who had managed the Trump campaign for a couple months, uh, after having represented some entity called the European Center for a Modern Ukraine, which was a front group for the Russian-backed former government of Ukraine, uh, when uh, the special prosecutor released an indictment charging that in order to cover his tracks, Manafort had engaged in a bunch of financial crimes. The It was announced that his lobbying for the European Center for Modern Ukraine, read the former Ukrainian government backed by the Russians, had engaged two Washington, D.C. public affairs firms other than Manafort's. The company A, which turned out to be some Republicans, Republican lobbying firm, and Company B. And it was fairly easy to recognize that Company B was the Podesta Group, which was chaired by Tony Podesta. So after he, uh, Mr. Tony Podesta recently had his usual big lavish birthday party for himself at his Colorado uh, Colorama neighborhood mansion. For those who are not familiar with the economic geography of Washington D.C., Colorama is the is the ritziest neighborhood where President Obama's Washington D.C. home is. Yes, where he where he retired to after sticking up for the little guy. But uh, the um, very soon after this Manafort uh, uh, information comes out, all of a sudden the Podesta Group is closing its yeah, doors. The Podesta Group immediately. The Podesta Group fairly immediately closes in late 2017. Uh, yeah. Now, and according to the Washington Post reporting on this, uh, it didn't close. Tony told his uh, his ex employees, who probably are not retiring to Colorado mansions <laughs> and and vast wine cellars, they may, may may still need continued employment. Yes. Yes. Those folks are are told that this is not because they are Company B, <laughs> and Mr. Mueller may be sending uh, unpleasant may, may, pieces may, of paper yeah. <laughs> to them, but uh, he gave a different excuse. 
Yeah, he, he just couldn't stand up to the scrutiny of Fox News. Yes. Fox I, I, News was being mean to him, and so his his tens of which, millions of which, dollars which makes, operation Which makes one was... wonder what Tony <laughs> Podesta thought he was being paid, the tens of millions of dollars. Uh, why, why his services were quite so expensive. Because one of the things, as a recovering public relations professional, uh, one of the things that you have to deal with as a public relations professional in Washington, D.C., is media scrutiny. <laughs> yes. But uh, well, now, we've talked a bit about the Podesta Group and the Center for American Progress. Have these uh, two streams ever crossed historically? So to tell this story, we have to go back to late 2012 when we discussed uh, a couple of episodes ago when we had uh, American Legislative Exchange Council's Bill Meyerling on about the left-wing campaign to f- get nonprofit don- make nonprofits say who funded them, make nonprofits uh say who is giving them money. And the idea, of course, for the left is that they can then send the... the, uh, the SCIU a- they can, they can They can then send, send the SCIU toughs to go make life miserable for them. So, Which, by the way, has happened for things like the Washington State Conservative Think Tank Freedom Foundation. Right. This is, this is not a hypothetical thing that, that, that could happen. But obviously, conservatives said, hey, wait a minute, your nonprofits aren't disclosing their donors. What, you know, why should we? Uh, so that led to pressure on CAP to disclose its donors, which they then did. Uh, and lo and behold, a number of CAP corporate corporation donors were also Podesta Group clients. Really? Um, perhaps the most sort of nakedly sleazy was uh, Walmart, which, when they were debating Obamacare, one of the provisions was the employer mandate, which would require employers above a fairly small level to provide employer-provided health care, uh, employer-provided health insurance. Obviously, Walmart is one of, the lar- one of, if not the largest private sector employer in the United States. And they would like to make it harder for their competition by... Uh, by making them provide health insurance, that it's easier for Walmart over thousands of, you know, hundreds of stores and dozens of cities to amortize across their operation that would make it for a small mom and pop shop much, much harder to, uh, to deal with. So with the support of Center for American Progress and Walmart put out a, put out a, uh, put out a letter saying the employer mandate's a good idea. We like we we like this. This is good and and liberal and helps the little guy and doesn't in any way help uh, Walmart's ultimate bottom line. All the while, Walmart was hiring Podesta Group to lobby for, among other things, the employer mandate. Yes, shocking. Well, uh, the. Center for American Progress, though, as we say, doesn't just help some of its big corporate donors and and foundation donors. Um, it also is happy to help its uh, uh, its. Well, sorry, I, the it isn't just a function of lobbying group and corporation and supposed think tank. Sometimes it's also uh, lobbying group and supposed think tank and government administration officials. So back, one of the last story that I want to tell is the Obama administration, of course, was notorious for uh, encouraging vast sums of tax dollars to be given to various green energy subsidies, 
um, which often helped both foundations. So the Solyndra scandal actually was a, was a foundation scandal, not a corporate scandal, because right. the company was actually owned by a foundation um, of a left-wing uh, and, oil billionaire. And also crony... Uh, Obvious, also crony capitalists with ties to all of these, all of this network that we discussed earlier. Exactly. Terry, Terry McAuliffe had a, uh, who who we mentioned earlier is one of the brainchilds behind Cap, brainchilds, uh, behind Cap, uh, had a uh, electric vehicle company that did it ever produce a car? I don't think they actually made a car, sadly. <laughs> but and by the way, we should throw in there, of course, and his partner in that company was Hillary Rodham's brother. But anyway, so you you have back in the Obama administration. There are these massive green subsidies, uh, especially for uh, wind and solar, which uh, can only function with massive government subsidies and otherwise are are a disaster. Uh, Well, there was a famous study, some I'm sure listeners, some will remember, the Spanish government, which had poured many millions of its taxpayers' dollars into subsidies for wind power, actually did a study and discovered that it was a disaster and that for every job that was created in the wind power sector, more than two jobs were destroyed elsewhere. So that's probably not what you call a fine return on your investment, especially if you happen to be, oh, I don't know, a guy who needs a job. But uh, anyway, the, the, the study was being by the Spanish government was being uh, talked about a great deal in D.C., and there was a uh, great terror on the part of the trade group for the wind energy uh, companies, uh, which relies, we say, on those governments, heavy government subsidies. They were very distressed, so they connected up with their uh, friends at the Inter- Department of Energy's National Renewable Energy Laboratory, and uh, oh, there were FOIA a, requests from our friends at the Competitive Enterprise Institute that dug the, these emails out. So, in the emails, the trade group is screaming at the uh, at the quote unquote scientists uh, working for the government to say you've got to attack this study because it could ruin the chances for the Congress. Right, all, right. All, 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 all of a sudden, Congress will say, "Hey, wait a minute, this isn't what we signed yes. up for." So. Um, and, of course, the scientists were quite happy to oblige, and they did it in a very timely fashion because they were being whipped about, there's, you know, there are votes coming up in Congress to send the money our way, so you better hurry up with this. So they did, and the emails also show that they coordinated, of course, with uh, the Center for American Progress, whose noise machine was happy to put its wind, shall we say, behind the wind subsidies, although the taxpayers of America will be happy to know in this instance uh, it actually failed. Congress did not renew, renew the subsidies at that time. That, 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 is, uh, that is stunning. <laughs> <laughs> so it actually didn't work. Um, so once again, science, quote unquote, was defeated, but the taxpayers uh, probably were better off for it. Well, uh, any, any last minute thoughts on the, the, the big picture? This is, this is all classic examples of how influence right, right. This is, this is, in DC This is works. a classic stor- story. The story of CAP is the classic story of, of, of influence, as you said. Uh, the out-of-power party in the Bush administration creates a think tank to develop its program of government, you know, basically a program of government, uh, and to advocate... Uh, and, I, and I think your characterization uh, that whereas the conservative institute, the conservative think tank institutions, American Enterprise Institute and Heritage Foundation broadly, 
uh, tend to be more research than communications. I think it is reasonable to say that CAP is more communications than research. Um, the that to create you know create their program of government, advocate for their program of government, and then once they're ultimately in government in the Obama administration to defend that program of you know enact and defend that program of government um, in again in the manner that you said you know go go far basically go pharma pharma study to counter the other study you know to make sure that to, to make sure that yeah to make sure the vote to the make sure the vote in con- congress goes the way that the trade association of all your friends uh, goes goes the way you want it to go although you know and and again you wonder how they and those trade those trade group relationships those corporate relationships cap has been accused by the left by lefties of modifying its results to service its donors uh, obviously, captainize this because that would destroy its credibility if it were true. But uh, lefties have le- lefties have accused them of um, pay of for mo- play. Yeah, of, of what, like yeah, of what, of what we of, of what is called pay for play, which is where your donor says your donor says, "I'm really, really interested in this issue. You know what that donor wants to see, and you give it to them." Um, so. There's some question, you know, now that some of the corporate relationships might be a little bit harder to reach because it won't be Podesta, won't be Tony Podesta picking up the phone and calling John and saying, "Hey, we need to, you know, <laughs> hey, John, help." <laughs> yes, we uh, be interesting to see how the revenues uh, work out. Although uh, in the current climate, revenues for the left are awfully, awfully good. Uh, it is as an influence institution, whether you are a media property or a uh, or a think tank. Uh, being in opposition is <laughs> always the best. Yes, much easier to fear and anger are the great fear, uh, fear and anger. Fear and anger are the great motivators. And if your side is out of power, there's no they're always they're of always fear afraid. And anger. <laughs> uh, well, uh, thanks so much, Mike. That is our show for this week. If you're listening to this on iTunes or Stitcher, know that we broadcast a live video version of this podcast at 10 a.m. on Thursdays on Facebook Live and YouTube. You can find our pages by searching Capital Research Center. And if you're watching the video version, we encourage you to subscribe to the audio on your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you next week.